All right, let's give this one more try. So we're going to look at man-to-man combat in Chainmail, uh, really in Chainmail for OD&D. So welcome to Bandit's Keep. I am Daniel. I've been going through this season talking about using exactly that Chainmail, which is the kind of medieval uh, warfare game that uh, predated uh, original Dungeons & Dragons and is stated in the original books as the combat system if you don't want to use the alternate convex system, which is the one that, of course, everybody ended up using, which is the D20 system. This system uh, uses mostly D6s, and there's actually three different types of combat, which we have been going through. I've talked about troop combat or mass combat, which is the standard combat system. I've talked about fantasy combat a little bit, and I started to last week talk about man-to-man, and I had all kinds of notes and things I changed to kind of clarify And frankly, once I read all those notes and talked a little bit, it was very long and I think actually more confusing than it should have been. So I decided part of the reason for that was because I hadn't actually tried it with somebody else. So I got one of my players together. I got Nikki uh, to join me in a couple of Zoom meetings and we've done a few combats now. And I think I have a, a pretty good grasp of it. And it's one of those things that on paper, it looks like, hmm. But once you do it a couple times, it's actually pretty cool and, and really fun. So I'm just going to talk about it loosely here. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to uh, get together with her and we're going to record a session. I'm making like a little adventure so it's not boring. Uh, and we'll do like a little short session where we use all the different types of combats. So hopefully if people listen to that, they can get a feel for how at least I would think that you could use the various types of combats in your game. Because if you've listened to any other podcast, you'll see me repeat this that I don't think one of the three types of combats is the right one to use. The idea is that you would use all three of them at different times. So man-to-man is really going to be when you want that in-depth, kind of gritty, down-to-the-bone, detailed combat. Um, I could see this being used a lot more in campaigns where it's less, I don't want to say less fantasy, maybe low fantasy or more sword and sorcery where you're kind of major bad guys, like your big fights, are probably against people that are either human or humanoid, so they're using weapons and armor, um, and you want that fight to be really kind of uh, tooth and nail and with a lot of detail and some finesse. What's kind of cool about this is, and we actually did this when we were doing the test, you can flip back and forth. Like, you could be doing, like, a few of the combats that we tested. I did them both in the man-to-man system and then also in the troop combat. And, of course, in the troop combat system, which we've talked about before, it generally was really much faster, and uh, I mean, I won't say it wasn't as fun, but it it's the kind of thing where like, okay, you encounter four guards in the hallway, this isn't really a big deal, it's a wandering monster or whatever, it's just there to slow you down a bit. We can use a troop combat system, uh, then you walk in on the captain of the guard, who's a master swordsman, you know, whatever, by the legend, so now you're going to actually go through this and he's going to, you know, show you his moves, so to speak. So the system is based, uh, uh, it uses, there's a few conceits here. Number one is that we're using hit points now. So remember in the other two systems, I decided to use hit dice instead. Here we're going to use hit points. Um, Your hit points are a D6, you know, uh, per man or however they do it, depending on your character class. So the way OD&D does it, and by the way, I just want to say that I think, I mean, comparing OD&D with Chainmail, uh, you know, and also let's say BX, which is my favorite kind of older system with chainmail. Fighters are just way more powerful in, when you use this system. It really takes advantage of the fact that you're a fighter. I mean, if you think about OD&D and you think about a fighter, 
you you basically have the same chance to hit uh, as the magic user, as the cleric, you know, at first level. Um, and pretty much all weapons do the same damage, right? So we kind of have the same damage potential. There's not even a bonus for damage or attack for strength in OD&D. So like that being your prime requisite, the fact that you're going to probably be the strongest party member doesn't actually affect your combat output. So like, except for the fact that you can actually use more weapons, the fighter isn't that much different than, let's say, the cleric. Um, or, you know, once the thief comes along and you can wear, uh, they can't wear the armor, but they can use the weapons. I guess that's what the fighter gets. They get all the weapons and all the armor. But this really matters because if we look at, I'm going to grab my, I'm going to be digging through my books here. So hopefully it won't be too, uh, too much of a mess here. Of course, I can't find the one. But if we look at, um, for instance, um, you're you know, called fighting men in OD&D. Um, let's take like, I'm going to pick a random number. Let's pick level five. A level five fighting man, which is a swashbuckler. Um, for, for their hit points, they have five, five D6, you know, plus one. If we look at a level five magic user, which are the thermargists, they get three hit dice. Uh, not only that, they fight as three men, whereas the the uh, fighter fights as five men, which will come and we'll talk about that in a second. So the fighter is, even though the weapons do the same damage, the fighter is by and large a better fighter. They're going to have more hit points uh, just by the nature of it. And they're going to uh, get more attacks and or defense. And this is where I think it really shines. You know, the more hit points, you get that in other systems too. They might have a higher hit die. Maybe magic uses have a D4. You know, I think that's why they did that. They were trying to spread that out a little bit. But I don't think it really translates as well. I really do feel like fighters are more kind of badass in this system that, that we're putting together here using chainmail. Well, I'm putting it together. I'm looking at <laughs> I didn't put it together. All right, so there's a few conceits, like I said. You've got everybody has a D6 hit die, and you have various numbers of hit point hit dice by your level. And everybody has a different number of, quote, men that they are equal to. Now, in the uh, troop combat system, we already use this, right? So if you're equivalent to five men, when you look at the troop system, you just look at what five men would do, and you roll those number of dice. What this effectively does for um, man-to-man combat, though, is... It gives you more attacks because essentially each of the men, quote, can attack once. I'm actually probably going to start using the word action from this point on. It's not used at all in chainmail, but I think it makes life easier because there's other things you can do besides attack. There's parry, which is the most obvious thing. And then something that's not really listed in there, but that I decided to add because I know it's going to be common and we've found that it really made a difference is switching weapons, which I decided would take one action in most cases. So, for instance, let's say that you are a, you're fighting as four men. You could, and I'll get into more detail, but you could attack twice, parry once, and then switch weapons. Let's say you could do all those four things on your turn. Now, that means the fighter is going to be more versatile in fights, right? If, if the magic user only fights as two men or whatever, then they will be able to do less, essentially. Now, this is where it can become a little bit kind of bogged down. And I, this is why I say this is really for special fights. You're not going to use it all the time. Because if you start dealing with high-level parties and everybody has, you know, four or five things they can do, it, it can, unless they're used to the system, I will say this would probably get bogged down. So be wary of that. Although I do feel like in most cases, when you get to the higher levels, you'll switch to fantasy combat, which is the easiest thing. This is really probably a mid-levels thing or just a very special fight thing. So... Even though I think it's one of the coolest systems, I feel like it's probably the one that I'll use the least. 
Now, the other conceit we have to keep here is that, and this is going to be different than most people understand D&D, armor class in Chainmail and in OD&D really is a fixed number. If you use plate mail armor, you are armor class three, right? It doesn't matter if it's plate mail plus five. It doesn't matter if it's, uh, you know, if you have a high dexterity, which doesn't affect armor class and OD&D, but whatever. Um, none of that stuff, if you have ring of protection, your armor class is always three. That benefit, the, the bonus to the armor or whatever, uh, affects the other person's role to hit you. So, for instance, if you have a shield plus one and somebody's throwing dice to hit you, they will need they will roll their dice and they will subtract one. So that's basically how that works. It's kind of like a magic sword, same thing, but the other direction. You know, a magic sword would give you a bonus to your attack. A shield or armor makes them subtract. What this means is now the system, if you've ever looked at AD&D and you saw that chart that's weapon versus armor and you were kind of like, huh? Now it makes sense because that's how the system works. You look at you, you compare your weapon to your armor and it gives you a number that you must uh, hit, or that number or greater, on 2d6. So for instance, if I'm using, now I gotta dig this out here, oh, I got the chart over here. I'll just give you an example. So if I have a, of course I won't have that chart on top. If I have, let's say, a sword, and I am fighting somebody in leather armor and a shield, they, I will need a nine to hit them. I nine or better. With the same sword, attacking somebody in chain, I only need an eight, you know, because obviously the shield makes it a little harder to hit them. To get through plate armor, I'm going to need a 10, right? However, if on my belt is a mace, to get through plate armor with the mace, I only need a seven. And again, this is where changing weapons comes into play. You can choose your weapon based on who you're fighting, and you may change that throughout combat. There's two benefits to having each weapon. One is uh, its efficiency or effectiveness to go through different types of armor. And the other benefit is its length or its weapon class. Your weapon class is basically starts at one and goes to, I think, 12 or 13. And basically it has to do with length of the weapon. So a dagger is weapon class one. A pole arm is like 10 or something or nine. Based on your weapon class, that will uh, decide when you can go in combat. So you're still going to roll initiative because initiative will handle things like uh, missile and magic. Like all that stuff will happen before or if people have very similar length weapons. But if there's a a difference in weapon length by about two, uh, that will affect the uh, order of initiative. So the way that works is, if your weapon is two or more lengths longer, you will go first, even if you lost initiative, the first round. So basically, you're charging into combat, the person with the longer weapon is going to get a chance to go first. After the first round... If your weapon is two lengths or more shorter, you get to go first because now you've got a faster weapon. You're in close combat, so the faster weapon is going to give you that bonus. So there's a lot more kind of um, specifics, and I'm not going to read the whole chart, but basically uh, I'll give you a kind of a breakdown. Depending on your the difference now, th- that was just the sweeping overview. If there's a small difference between weapon lengths, you can option have an option to parry you parry as using up one of your your actions as i'm calling them right so again if you're three men you might have three actions so you could say i'm going to parry once the parry is going to give a a a penalty to the person trying to attack you on 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 their rolls on that roll right so for instance let's say that let me just actually i'll finish this first so it's confusing 
Um, depending on the weapon length, you may or may not uh, be able to get a counter below, meaning that if you parry with a weapon with certain, with certain weapon lengths and you're successful, you then get an attack. So let me just run through a quick thing. Let's take two fighters that are both uh, two hit dice, so they're both second level. As they approach uh, in combat, uh, let's say that one's got a mace and one has a spear, whatever. You're going to look at the weapons. The spear is going to go first. I don't even have to look to know that. I mean, spear is going to go first the first round. After that, the mace is going to go first, right? Each combatant is going to decide how they want to use their actions. Do I want to parry or do I want to attack? The way I did it was I made a quick little note what the enemy was going to do on, on a piece of paper, and then I asked the player. This way, I feel like there's not that meta thing. And what it does actually create is you can actually choose the wrong action. And I think that adds a little bit of drama to combat. I think some people might want to play it like, well, if they go first and they attack you, you can just choose to parry as many times as they attack. But I kind of like the idea of, no, you tell me up front. And if you choose that you're going to parry three times and attack once, you know, with your four attacks and they only attack you once, then you waste those extra parries. I like that. Nikki seemed to like it too. So I'm going to keep that system going. But anyways, let's roll back to these two fighters. So let's say that each of the fighters decides to attack once and parry once. What that effectively means is that they're both going to get a minus two on their uh, attack roll. However, with the... Um, now i got to look at my piece of paper. I believe with the mace, because of its weapon length, uh, yeah, they will get a counter blow. So that means that if the guy with the spear parries the guy with the mace, he parries it, and, you know, of course he didn't get hit, so that's good. But if the guy with the mace parries the guy with the spear successfully, again, successfully, that means he doesn't get hit, then he's going to actually get to go. Quick correction there. The, uh, the guy with the spear, actually, his weapon is so long that he is unable to parry, which means that he can either just attack twice, or I guess he could switch weapons if he felt like the spear wasn't working for him anymore. But, you know, uh, according to the rules, uh, once a weapon is over a certain length, they cannot parry the shorter weapon, which I guess kind of makes sense. So he can, so what will happen is the guy with the mace will go first, and, hit and make his attack. Let's say he miss hits or misses, doesn't really matter. Then the guy with the spear goes. If he misses because of the parry, you know, he misses basically, then the mace guy gets to go again. So you've got this like little back and forth going. So that's why I say with the large group, it could get a little clunky. But the kind of back and forth fun of the, oh, I get a counter blow is, is became really cool um, as we were playing it out. And I mean, that's it in a nutshell. There's a lot of kind of like little intricate, I, I, I could read the different, what the different classes do, but I think this is one of those things, much like a lot of older D&D stuff where you're going to want to have a little chart out. And I definitely um, would say that like, what we did was, in, in all these combat systems I've been doing, this is partially because we're learning it, is right when combat first starts, I just take a second to get organized, you know, um, which requires a little bit from me because I normally like to just blow through combats when I'm running like BX because I don't want to like combat is usually the least interesting part of those games when I'm running it. But um, this, this is actually making me really like, you know, the, the, the combat and the, the fun of it and the, the, the nature of it. You know, I was running a combat, actually a pretty intense combat in my Astonishing Swordsman Sorcerers campaign the other day. And it was, I mean, it was exciting only because people could die, but it like, really it was like, there wasn't a lot of variation. It was like everybody was just hitting the thing with the, with their weapons and the thing was hitting or not hitting them with their weapons. And they, they had to decide about healing spells and whatever strategy. But it wasn't as like in-depth, you know, it didn't have that like meat like this would have. So I think that when you want that, this is available. You know, I, I imagine like 
you know, Conan, like fighting off, you know, the, 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 now again, like the captain of the guard, when you finally get to the top of the tower, like this is that combat and it's really cool. And we definitely found switching weapons was, was a good technique, but sometimes you don't want to sacrifice it. You know, you might just want to take the blows first. Sometimes you might want to parry. It really comes down to how you want to play it out, you know? Um, and also just to keep in mind, just because the question comes up about this, if let's say you're a fighter and you're fighting, because I did this, let's say your fighter is third level and they're facing off against two people. They can say, well, I want to parry the first guy once, the second guy once, and then I'm going to attack the first guy once. So you can do that too. Like you divide it amongst foes if you want. And that's more or less in a nutshell, the man-to-man combat. I, I hope this is somewhat clear. I'm going to, like I said, record a little session where we're going to go through all the combats, but I think I'm now starting to put this together in a way that's very usable. Um, I think for practical purposes, the troop combat is probably the fastest and will probably be the one that gets used the most, especially at low levels. Um, This one, the man-to-man, I think is going to be for special cases and possibly like major enemies at lower levels. And I think once the level of the, the group gets high enough, then I feel like fantasy combat will, you know, at least for major foes, will happen a lot more often. And it just will add a lot of variety. You know, I, that, that's really what I'm, what I'm hoping and what I think will work here is that we're going to, to create this game that has a lot more depth to it so that things are unique and different each time you're fighting. And it's not just a repeat of the same thing. Um, so we'll see. You know, I mean, I know that I've always wanted to you know, have D&D games where, where the fighters could like mow through, you know, 12, you know, goblins, uh, you know, without having to spend an hour doing a combat. And I think these systems are going to allow that, not this one in particular, but the troop one. So yeah, uh, probably the next thing you hear from me will be that. Uh, I'm going to try to record it and we'll go from there. And, uh, but, and, and then I'm going to start getting into, I think, some of the changes I'm making. Um, to the system before I actually start a campaign. Because I'm planning a campaign, and what the next part of this might be is me talking about my OD&D campaign that I'm putting together because I'm being distracted by cool stuff. (laughs) But I do want to get the the meats and mechanics of the combat down first. Hey, Jason here. I'm in my car in the rain, so I apologize about the audio quality. Wanted to say I caught up on your YouTube videos, not the actual plays, but all the tutorials, and they're great. Really enjoyed them. Um, as far as your episode so far, I'm about 20 minutes in, and I'm going to forget what, what all you talked about. Uh, but you, you mentioned Barbarians and Basilisks. You're giving me something to look at each time. I, I went and bought all the everything to do with the Hateful Place, and that's a neat system. I like it. Um, I've been, listened to the diaries. Or, well, there's only two episodes from the creator of that right now on Anchor. I need to reach out to him and see if he's going to do any more. I don't know if he got disillusioned or what, but yeah, that's a neat game too. Um, be right back. So got a few messages here from Jason. Uh, that first one was great. Yeah, I, I really like the Hateful Place system, and the, the guy is super nice. Um, it's a really fun system. We've been actually hacking it a lot in my group. It's, it's one of those things that you can make a character in about you know four seconds and just kind of go with it. And because the rules are so loose, you can really do all kinds of different uh, worlds and stuff with it. So it's really been one of our favorite. So in a, in a way, it's almost the opposite of what I'm doing now with this uh, because it's getting a little bit more, especially this one, getting into the man-to-man, uh, but a lot like the fantasy combat in a lot of ways, you know, when, when we're talking combat, because since all the weapons do the same damage, 
it, it and everybody kind of has the same chance to attack, it really creates just a very narrative combat, and you can do all kinds of crazy stuff. Uh, so yeah, definitely, Hateful Place is great. Oh, and thanks for checking out my YouTube channel. Yeah, I actually started doing that first um, before I did this because I was already doing the actual plays on there. But um, thanks for watching those too. Last thing I want to mention really quickly before I continue to listen. I'm up to right where you're about to talk about changes to Fantastic Combat, but you mentioned Jason Vay and you mentioned these um, PDFs. So I've been looking on ODD74 forum and Dragon's Foot forum and these old school forums and um, Jason Bay has Grey Elf Games or Grey Elf Productions Grey Elf something or another and he has these PDFs on his website, his company website so that's an easy place to find them and then he also makes and sells games and I haven't bought it yet but he has a game that's effectively OD&D with chainmails what I understand the sales pitch as like Sorcerers and Swords or something like that um, you'll see it on his website but anyway, Grey Elf Games might be a place to look at. But he has all these PDFs you're talking about, his Conan PDF and all that stuff up there for free. So, Okay, now I'm going to listen to the rest of the episode. Okay, so it's raining harder now, so hopefully this is this will be okay quality. But, yeah, I really love the idea of using all three systems and switching between them. And Yeah, you, you've got me sold. So, um. I'm messing around with some other things right now. Supposed to be playing in a Middle Earth role-playing old IC Murph game later this week, so I've got to concentrate on that. But here next week, probably I'm going to dig into chain mail and start making notes and you know start writing all this down. So looking forward to it. Take care. Well, this makes me uh, feel good that I'm not the only crazy person that <laughs> wants to dig into this, Jason. Uh, that's pretty cool. I'm, I'm curious what you put together. Uh, you know, I'll definitely be listening for, for any comments uh, that you might make on your, your podcast or if you want to send messages here. Um, because, you know, the, the more I look at it, you know, you, you start to uh, predict in some ways. And maybe I'm predicting it based on my own players that I that I'm play with a lot. But where I think little holes and stuff could be and how how some of the stuff goes together because with the free PDFs I've read so far, they don't seem to cover everything. And, and I do want some things to be, you know, I do, I want, you know, undead to have special properties uh, beyond just being, you know, on the, the certain combat, you know, table or whatever. So those are just things I'm working out. I mean, they're not necessary, but I think they're fun and it adds a little more depth. In any case, I'm going to smush all this together and see how this works in one big narrative game as I said, and we will see how it turns out. And I'll, that could be the next thing I put up, uh, depending on, um, how it goes or not <laughs> either way. <laughs> thanks for listening guys. If you have any uh, you know questions or you want to uh, call in, of course, feel free. I'm always listening and thanks for listening.